Well, I have to tell you, it's a real privilege for me to be here, and uh, it is an honor for me to stand here in this pulpit. I listen to your pastor preach quite regularly. Even though I'm not here, I appreciate the podcast, and when I'm on the treadmill many mornings, I will, um, I will listen to him and to, to his, uh, his messages. And I want to say this to you, you know, not being a doting dad, but being really a person who has spent his life trying to get a hold of this thing called preaching. And I have the privilege these days of working with pastors across the United States and literally around the globe and encouraging them and trying to bring some perspective to this thing called preaching. And I want to tell you that you as a congregation are truly blessed to have someone who does understand and delve into the scriptures and then comes out and shares with you something that is applicable to your life every day. We live in a world that is so geared toward relativism, that is so geared toward I've got my truth, you've got your truth, you've got your way, I've got my way, that we are living in perilous times in some ways and people don't even recognize it. And so to have someone who will actually take the scriptures, spend the time, energies, and efforts that are necessary to understand what God is saying and feel it in your heart, then come and share it with a group of people, that is a blessing for the people who are receiving it. And I want to say that to you, and I trust that you receive what I am saying not only as a father, but as someone who's been doing this for five decades plus. And who today, last year, had the privilege of interacting with over a thousand pastors up close and personal and understanding the journey of pastors. I had a guy call me the other day wanting to access our, our, our network of pastors. And he was telling me how that pastors don't understand laymen. <laughs> I thought that's really amusing. There's one pastor, and laymen don't understand one pastor, and a pastor may have a hundred or may have thousands of people for him to try to figure out. Have you, ever, have you ever considered the odds and looked at it a little differently? I said to him, I suggest that you help Laban try to understand the leader that God has given to them because I was just reviewing this the other day, and this is just something I wanted to share with you. I was reviewing this the other day out of the NAC, New American Commentary, uh, out of the Gospel of John, chapter 10, on the matter of the word shepherd and how that the word shepherd has given us the whole concept of leadership not only in church life but in all of life. And so I want to say to you I'm grateful, I'm proud of Eric and Edie and their wonderful family, those four beautiful, beautiful, beautiful girls. And so it's a privilege for me to be here with you and to share with you today what I believe that God has laid on our heart for us today. On this Father's Day, it will be applicable to us as fathers, I promise you. But it will go beyond us as fathers because the song that we just sang a few moments ago about being a good, good father, a good, good father is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about a good, good father. I was sitting here a few moments ago and I received a text from a pastor in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. <clears throat> he pastors a monumental church there that over the past few years 
has grown into one of the leading and largest churches in the Metroplex, and that's saying a lot about Dallas-Fort Worth. We have some mammoth-sized churches. And uh, he leads one of those churches, and he just sent me a text. On this Father's Day, and I was privileged to celebrate with him because he and his son are sharing the time together just like Eric and I are today on this Father's Day. So let me talk with you today <clears throat> about on this Father's Day about something that is really close to my heart. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been misrepresented? Now, if you've lived any life at, uh, at all and been on this planet for any period of time at all, everyone in this room would have to agree that we've been misrepresented. And when you've been misrepresented, you are apt to be misunderstood. Misrepresentation and misunderstanding, they go hand in hand. And when you have a misrepresentation, there will be opinions formed of you that do not reflect who you really are. Now, sometime we have that to happen, we feel like, oh, man, this is horrible. We're so alone. But here's what I want to remind us of today. That God has been so misrepresented that God is misunderstood. For example, some people today see God as a cosmic killjoy. They think he's the one who reigns on everybody's parade. No matter how noble or ignoble the parade may be, God reigns on every parade. He's the cosmic killjoy. He doesn't want anybody to have a party of any kind. Other people see him as the Attila the Hun. He's like the hall monitor. Walking up and down the hall, seeing if somebody steps out of bounds so that he can whack them over the head. Perhaps you have heard preachers that have given you the perspective that perhaps God is like the Attila the Hun. And then some see him as a ghastly guilter. In every way, he wants to guilt you. When you make a mistake, he comes to condemn and put you down. And so you live in the throes of guilt. We need an accurate picture of our heavenly father. We need it. Let me tell you why we need it. What you think of God affects every relationship you have in life. I want to say that again. What you think of God and the picture you have of God, whether you're 4, 44, or 84, the picture you have of God affects every relationship you have in life. We need an accurate picture of who God is. And when Jesus came, he came to give us a perfect picture of God. You can use a lot of theological terms to describe that. But in reality, when the Word was made flesh and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth, what that means simply is this, that Jesus gave us a perfect picture of the perfect God. In his actions and in his attitudes, he reflected, he pictured 
who God is. Now, there were some who looked at his actions and looked at his attitudes and they had a recoil and they still misunderstood who God was. So to take them a step further, Jesus would choose words and communicate through words to give explanation to his actions and his attitudes so that they could see who God is. And he did it creatively. He did it in a compelling way so that people could not ignore it. They may resist it, but they could not ignore it because he was such a creative and masterful and marvelous communicator they couldn't ignore it. on one occasion he told a story that's become very famous and we'll focus on it today it's a story that has become very very famous and when you look at the story it is filled with a pathos of God. It screams of the heart of the Father. What's the story? Well, we know it as the story, the parable of the prodigal son. The parable of the prodigal son. 1994, my wife and I, we were in Moscow and had the opportunity to catch a train and go up to St. Petersburg, Russia. St. Petersburg, beautiful, beautiful city known as Venus of the North. And in that city, along those banks of that beautiful Baltic Sea, there sets the Hermitage, the Winter Palace of the Russian Tsars, but today a museum and collected where they have collected and gathered some of the greatest art in all the world. We viewed those galleries, and as we did, we came across a painting about eight feet long and seven feet high, and it was captivating. It was the painting of Rembrandt in his last year of his life after he had gone philandering and away from God and then came back. And he painted this masterpiece, and it's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. The story goes like this. A man had two sons. And the younger of the sons came to him upon occasion and said, Father, I want my portion of the inheritance right now. He disrespected his father because to receive the inheritance only became a reality after that the father had died but he said I want it I want it now and so the father divided the inheritance between the elder and the younger son in a short time afterwards the younger son in his rebellion he left home and he went off in an extravagant that's the word prodigal in an extravagant lifestyle he philandered his way and his wealth and when he ran out of money Simultaneously, there came a great famine. And here this Jewish boy, this Jewish boy, he wound up 
working for a pig farmer. Working with the pigs. What a ghastly thing. What a gross thing for a Jewish boy to have to have to tend to the pigs. But he did. And there in the muck and the mire of, of hogs, this boy came to himself. And when he came to himself, he decided, I'm not staying here any longer. I'm going back to my father's house. Because in my father's house, even those who are servants, they have it better than I do. And so I'll humble myself and I'll go back to my father and I'll ask him, Father, will you treat me just like one of your hired hands? And so he gets up out of the pig's muck in the mire and he starts home. We pick it up, Luke 15, verse number 20. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But, circle that but, will you? Just circle it. Because the boy started to tell the story and make his confession, and the father said, wait, stop right here. You've had your extravagance. Let me show you mine. That's what's going on here. He said, you've been out there extravagantly living, philandering and wasting, but stop. Let me show you my extravagance. And so he says to the boy, stop, stop. The father said to the servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and let us throw a party. <laughs> Let's be merry. Let's have a party. Although the story has been known as the story of the prodigal son, and although the painting of Rimbat is entitled the return of the prodigal son, the focus in the painting and the focus in the story is not the son, but the focus in Rembrandt's painting, according to scholars who studied it, and the focus of the parable, according to scholars who have studied it, is not the son, but the focus is upon the father. What's going on here? What's Jesus doing? Why did he tell the story? It's one of three. The parable of the lost sheep. The parable of the lost coin. And now the parable of the lost son. What's going on? Well, here's what's going on. You see, the religious leaders in the days of Jesus had a warped view of who God was. Matter of fact, through their own traditions, 
that had been passed from generation to generation. And through their own perspectives, they had a self-styled concept of who God was. Oh, they were looking for God. They were looking for him. But when he showed up, he didn't fit in their box. And when he didn't fit in their box, they missed him. Irony of irony of ironies is this, that those who were the most godly of the day, who were the religious leaders of the day, who were telling everybody about the coming of God, when God showed up, they killed him. Because they had so shaped in their own minds and in their own liturgy, in their own ritual, perspective of God that was self-styled, preferential, passed from one to another to another. And when God showed up in the person of Jesus, they didn't even recognize him. Another time, if your pastor will invite me back, I'd like to I'd like to just share with you more about that. For I fear across this land and wrapped around this globe that those of that generation have not all died. And people have warped perspectives, pictures, mental images. who God really is. So Jesus told the story. Let me tell you who God is. Let me explain to you who God is. And he tells the story of the extravagant father to show the Father's extravagant heart. If I had a goal for us today, it would be this, that when we leave here, we'll have a clear picture of who God is. Because this is an encompassing story that doesn't focus on the extravagance of a wasteful son, but focuses on the extravagant uh, heart of a good, good father. What does the story tell us about the heart of the father? Well, it tells us this, that all of us can feel the heart of God. All of us can be moved to embrace the heart of God. And all of us can express the heart of God if we will be gripped by the heart of God. The extravagant heart of the Father, what's it like? First, the Father's extravagant heart loves 
get this, loves unconditionally. There's not a person in this room or that will come on these properties today or drive by these buildings today that does not possess within them a desire to be loved. All of us have it. God made us that way. We have the desire to be loved. Tim Sanders in his book, Love is a Killer App, Winning It, Being Successful in Business. He said, if life was an iPhone, the first app would be the love app. Why? All of us want to be loved. And we want to be loved unconditionally. You see, here's the thing. Performance-based love damages us. I want to say that again. Performance-based love damages us. Love that is unconditional moves to help us reach our potential. But to reach your potential as a condition to be loved is damaging. And dads, could I say to you, as a father who looks back over these years and decades now, if I had it to do over, and I'm asked this about ministry a lot, if you had it to do over, Claude, what would you do differently? And I think almost immediately, if I had it to do over as a dad and as a husband, there would be some things I would do differently. And any person who looks back over their lives and say, oh, I would do everything exactly the same, is either a pusillanimous-minded, and that's a word you can look up, a pusillanimous-minded person or an arrogant, cold-hearted individual. They don't, they don't understand life. I look back and I say, there's some things I would do differently. Of course there are. And one of them would be, I would be a a, a husband and a father who would seek to live and love unconditionally. This boy who's been out there flagrantly living his life, wasting everything that he had, he comes back and what is the father, he's, he's standing there looking down the road, and when he sees him a long way off, something about that distant figure, that it captured the heart of that father because he saw something in that stumbling, wandering figure coming up the road, and he said, that's my, that's my son. When he saw him, The scripture says he was moved with compassion. That was something stirred inside of him, not based on performance, not based on anything except something that was in him. And that's the way that God feels and God moves and God acts and God's attitude toward you and me. We sing and he's a good, good father and he he loves us and He loves us, and that's who I am. I'm a person who's loved. I've got good news for you and me today, and it is this. You don't have to perform for God to love you. God loves you regardless of your performance. That's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5. It says this. It said that God, while we were rebellious and still sinners, God demonstrated, God showed his love for us. That's what he did. That's what he did. You and I can experience the very love of God. 
And, and, and it, it's just it's a matter of saying, oh, here I am. Here I am. I, I, I know you, your heart is extravagant in your love for me, and it's not based on me being good. It's not based on me even stepping across the line of faith. I can live in rebellion against you, and you still love me. But if I open my heart and I just take a move and I take a step, I call it to step across the line of faith. If I take that first step across the line of faith, when I do that immediately, immediately, I experience the love of God. And once I experience it, that same passage in Romans says that love does not disappoint but gives us hope and gives us the capacity to express it. Because by his spirit, he pours his love into our lives so that there is an overflow. We experience it. We can express it. Unconditional love. Have you experienced it? So you can express it. The extravagant heart of God loves unconditionally. The extravagant heart of God forgives completely. This, this dad saw that boy coming. When he saw him coming, he loved him unconditionally. But you see, as you follow the story, he also forgives him completely. See, relationships mean tension. Community means conflict. Family means rough spots in the road we travel. It's just a part of life. I will offend, you will offend. I will sin against, I will be sinned against. How do I deal with it? I find it right here. I bother it. When you're sinned against, what do you do? Hold a grudge? Become bitter? Or do you allow the extravagant God to forgive you? And experience that forgiveness. Look at this father. He ran. You realize patriarchs didn't run. You know why patriarchs didn't run? They had long flowing robes. And the patriarch would never show his legs in public. That'd be so different today, would it not? And so he pulls that robe up. It's what is called girding. Reaches down, pulls it up between his legs, and he takes off running. He all, All of his dignity... He dishes his dignity so he could run to his son. And he runs. He comes to him, puts his arm around him, falls on him, his neck, kisses him. What's he doing? He's forgiving. He's forgiving. And what's Jesus saying? You who are so legalistic, And so judgmental. Who are sitting here judging me because I'm eating with sinners. I'm a friend of sinners. You're judging me. Here you are. Sinful. Humanity. And here I am. God in human flesh. And you're condemning me. What irony. What arrogance. What? And 
Jesus said, let me help you. I want you to see my father's heart and how extravagant it is that he forgives completely. He didn't say, okay, son, I'm going to put you in time out. I'm going to put you in the servant's quarters for a while. And if you show me that you're serious, I'll forgive you. It was immediate and complete. You take one just small turn toward God. And out of the abundance of his heart, there is forgiveness that is complete. Could I say to you and me? We we need to embrace the heart of God. You know, when you turn about, I guess, 19, 20, as a boy, you begin to think that you're somebody, you tough, big shot. At least I did. My father was lying on the sofa, and I, it's, it, it's a moment in my life. There, there are milestone moments in your life that shape your whole destiny, and this was one of them for me. My father was lying on the sofa sick, and he asked me to do something, and I was walking out of the living room, and, and I turned and just sort of gave him the Heisman and said, no, I'm not doing that. And I went out and got in my car, and I drove back out of the driveway and started down the hill, and as I did, it was just like a, a cinema of my life flashed before my eyes, and I thought about those times when I was a, an eight, nine-year-old boy, and I wanted to play baseball, and I was too young and too small to play on the team and my my father would come home and get out of his truck and 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 he he, he'd get the bat the ball and the glove and and a and a base and and he would pitch to me because I wanted to be a catcher like Yogi Berra and and I that's who I wanted to be like and and so he would pitch and he'd throw the ball and 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 I'd catch it and then I remember when I got a little older he'd he'd say come on son let's go to the mountains and and let's go see we can catch some trout and and we we, we'd sleep on the side of a on the side of a trail and, and and fish all day and he'd show me how and I remember when I wanted to play football and I was too small and 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 didn't weigh enough to play football in my Father would come home and he, he would teach me how to kick and he would spend time and energy. All that flashed before my eyes and I turned that car around and went back and pulled back in that driveway, got out of that car, went up the back porch and through the kitchen and into the living room and knelt down before my father. And I said, Dad, I'm so sorry. I, I, I'm so sorry. Will, will, you, will you forgive me? Dad, Dad will you? I'm sorry. My dad had the bluest eyes you've ever seen. They danced when they smiled, and he smiled, and through those blue eyes, Harley could raise his head up. He was so sick. And he said, son, before you got out of the kitchen door, you were forgiven. You know what that did for me? It set me free, even to this day. What a freeing thing. Let me say something to you. When you and I learn how to forgive like God forgives us. You see, according to Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, you are forgiven of your debts, and therefore you are to forgive those who owe you. That's, that's forgiveness. You're forgiven completely. You're forgiven in totality so that you will have the capacity to be able to forgive, receive his forgiveness, and give forgiveness. 
the extravagant heart of the Father, loves unconditionally, forgives completely, and celebrates abundantly. He said, listen, let's have a party. <laughs> That's what the dad said. He said, my boy was dead. Now he's alive. He was gone, and now he's home. And, and, and I, what are we going to do? Oh, I'm going to stoically sit down and act like he didn't show up. No, not this dad. He said, no, 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 no. We're going to have a party. He said, get that fatty calf. We've been saving that calf for a very special occasion. And there's no occasion more important than this occasion. Let's have a party. And what we need to understand is this, that God celebrates. Not a stoic God. He's a celebrating God. His heart rejoices over you and me. This weekend, we celebrated Maggie, (laughs) Maggie's graduation from high school. And do you think that we went to, you know, Papa's buying, right? I'm buying. You understand? Amen. Voluntarily, I might add, I was buying. Happily, I was buying. And you know what the what it was? You got you got a you got a blank check. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? Because we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate. It's a milestone. We're going to celebrate. Listen to me. Listen to me, church. Listen to me, First Baptist Norfolk. We need to celebrate. We need to celebrate each other. I wrote back to my pastor friend, and I said to him, Keith, I celebrate with you and what's happening there at your place today. As he and his son are going to share the pulpit together. He's so excited. I said, I rejoice and celebrate with you in your families, fathers. What are you celebrating? In your families, wives, what are you celebrating? What are we celebrating in our churches? Oh, God. Not withholding but in extravagance, celebrate abundantly. I want a heart like my father. I want a heart that's extravagant and extravagantly loves unconditionally. I want a heart like my father. A heart, an extravagant heart that extravagantly forgives completely. Not easy, but does it. I want a heart, a heart like my father that extravagantly celebrates. Let me ask you a question. Not assuming anything. Not assuming because you've been in church for 50 years. 
See, I've been doing this long enough to know that there are people who have been in church for 50 years who've never caught the heart of God. They've learned to walk the ritual of the church, but missed the heart of God. Could I ask you, have you experienced his heart to the degree that you're able to express his heart to others. It's a whole, it's a whole thought. It's an encompassing query. Have you? The spower hits. In the next moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond to God. Not only where you are, but for you to get up from your seat. We're not going to take long, I promise you. I'm not. I, I, I'm not going to take long. But I want to give you an opportunity. You, you, perhaps you have walked with the Lord for 50 years or 10 years or five years, or a year. And you're now beginning to grasp the heart of God. And allow the heart of God to grip your heart. And you're willing to say, let me take a step today to become a person of extravagance in my loving, forgiving, and celebrating. And if you have it in your heart to respond, I, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that, however you all do it here, Eric. However you do it, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do it. I'm in so many environments, I have to check and see, uh, do I wear a tie or do I not wear a tie? Uh, how do you do this and how do you do that? So however you do it here at First Norfolk, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond. And when we stand, we're going to stand and sing. When we do, I want you to, if it's in your heart to respond, just come. Come tell your pastor, come get on your knees and leave here today captured by the extravagant heart of our Father. Lord, in this brief moment, I pray that we'll have the heart to respond to you as you put it in our heart to do. In Jesus' name.